no one is, 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 is more locked in. From Thursday to Monday, no one is more locked into the NFL than First and Pod. Hosted by Danny Parkins and Andrew Filipponi. All right, welcome to First and Pod, everybody. Thank you for hanging out with us. Danny Parkins, Andrew Filipponi. You know the drill. It's easy to do every team, every game, every week. When we are, depending on when you're listening to this, about a week and a half out from Super Bowl 58. So we will just do brief thoughts on the game early. And then, of course, we'll get into some of the big storylines around the league. Pony, what are your early thoughts on the Super Bowl? Well, let me just say before we get into the nuts and bolts of the podcast, this is going to be a different kind of podcast performance from me because I've been just in over my head with baby duties with Amanda out of town. She's in. Oh, right. Yeah. She's in uh, New Orleans. This is your Super Bowl. For a work conference. So it's just been me. And uh, she's sleeping through the night so far. Knock on wood here. So I've done a very good job with that. I've dodged poop bullets left and right. The nanny and my mother-in-law have just been doing that. It's crazy. Amanda goes out of town. She's now wanted to go to the bathroom five or six times a day. This never happens. And some, somehow I'm missing out on all that, which is good. Uh, so I'm not as prepared as I usually am. So this is going to be a lot of off the cuff from me. Oh, so that'll show. be how I normally do it. Yeah. So like today on my local show on Thursday, because of that, I didn't prep as much as I usually do. They just sprung on me, try to name every Super Bowl MVP in order. Well, you and, have like a Rain Man brain. So how'd you do? Well, tell me if you agree with this. So they said I got 56 out of 57 right because – In order? In order. Now, I forgot that it was Dexter Jackson. I said D. Jackson. They said give me a first name, and I, I said Deshaun by accident. So they said wrong. But I'm like in jeopardy. If I go D. Jackson, I'm getting that right. So I feel like I got them all right. I got the first name wrong there when pressed on it. That is incredibly impressive. You're an incredibly like, impressive individual. Like I think right now, I don't know if I could get them all right in order, but I could almost get every quarterback matchup from the Super Bowl. We can maybe do that if you want to later at some point. I don't. Well, we okay. We sometimes <laughs> have to put out bonus podcasts. If you wanted to just test me on that, we could do that. Okay. Uh, well, um, that is that is something that is something to consider. How how much do you think the Mahomes Brady stuff is going to be the conversation around this game because I have a lot of thoughts on this. I understood it when they were playing each other. Of course, I don't like it for this. I don't find it to be applicable at all, but people are doing a lot of the goat stuff for Mahomes And he is having the best start to a career of anyone ever. He is the most talented quarterback by eye test that we've ever seen. He's been more productive earlier in his career than Brady was. Brady was more of a game manager carried by Belichick defense, not turning the ball over earlier in his career. But he's 28 years old. Brady played until he was 44. Like they're not playing against each other. 
he can't get his seventh ring this year. Not that I think that rings culture should be the only thing for a team sport like this. I don't even like that it has permeated the NBA as much as it is. But Mahomes isn't retiring. There's no reason to have the Mahomes-Brady conversation this week. But I feel like it's going to happen because it's already been happening. And I don't agree with that producing choice by the national shows. So then how would you frame the conversation about what this game does for Mahomes' legacy? Through the pri- through the prism of the team accomplishment. Okay. Through the prism of the six-year run of him as a starter. Through the prism of back-to-back champions. Through the prism of fastest to three rings. Through the prism of accomplishments under 30 compared to everyone else in the NFL. It, why would we compare it to – if you want to do it to what Brady did through his age 28 season, no problem with that, but do it with what everybody accomplished. Like, it when they played each other, it made sense. It does not make any sense now. Brady's career is over. His career is going to go, hopefully, for another 10-plus seasons. It doesn't make any sense to do it this week. I I, I think you're – you're you're very protective about this, which is weird. Like you like this is like the sacredness of let's not jump or I, fast I find it ahead. unnecessary. I find I find well, it like I, I I find it I find it reductive. I, I you know what I mean. I it just it, it it's it's not Brady Manning and it's not Brady well, Mahomes when they played each other. Okay, just, so at at the end of the day, what we try to do here is have fun and entertain people. And I think most conversations about Patrick Mahomes, when people that like football get together, when they have their Super Bowl parties on uh, a week from Sunday, the conversation of is Patrick Mahomes on track to be the best quarterback of all time? Or do you think he will pass Brady someday as the greatest quarterback of all time, whether people on FS1 or ESPN or uh, CBS Sports Radio or whatever are having this conversation, uh, whether those people are having those conversations or not, that's what regular football fans are talking about. I think they're already, because of the eye test and because of what this guy has done to make a conference championship game every year to get his team in the Super Bowl for the fourth time, okay, we get it. He's in his 20s and Brady played into his 40s, but is he tracking to be better than him? I don't is see he anything. tracking to be better than him? Or is, do is he, you think he will someday pass him? I think those are totally relevant conversations based on where he, what he's accomplished to this point. Like to me, I think conversations like that are much more uh, interesting to me than what happens all the time after a team wins a Super Bowl. Is this one of the greatest teams ever? Is this one of the best teams of all time? Like that almost happens every Monday following a Super Bowl in most cases it's complete prisoner of the moment stuff I just I don't for, for the, like we're watching a dynasty in progress they would have the chance at a three-peat if they win it Andy Reid's already the second winningest playoff coach ever and Belichick it, is on the sideline right now there's it's just if you want to do it as like like I said the on pace thing that's that's fine. Just the, the the straight comparison of putting up career stuff side by side. It just, 
I don't know. I don't really know people that are doing that. I mean, I must have missed that conversation. The idea that it's you've seen this guy set records and and especially this time of year do things in the postseason that really exceed and go far and away past what Brady did in some of these games to this yes. point from a number standpoint. So I don't have any issue with do you think you're actually watching someone who is better than the greatest player of all time? I'm I'm totally comfortable in that conversation. I don't know why that's somehow um, controversial or um, something like, that you're not. I find I find it to be a little lazy. I, I I find it to be a little reductive to what the present day team and players are accomplishing and what's at stake here. I just like we, there is no answer to it right now. He's got another fifteen years. So I just, I find, I find, I just, I don't, I don't. Well, so let me just make a, let me just make a comparison to a sport that isn't football. Before when Binyana got drafted, when people were already saying, do you think this guy has a chance to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time when he was 18 years old? Yeah. Was Danny Parkins in Chicago thinking, whoa, pump the brakes on this conversation. He's in France. We've barely seen him play. Let's watch the guy play in the NBA for a few seasons before we start talking about him in that type of way. Like, is that, do you, is that just a personal preference that you have when it comes to stuff like this? Uh, no, listen, I was very excited about when Benyama, I think it's different in basketball. I think it is. I think it is different in basketball. That is, we have a, if you do a top 10 all time ranking, it's guys of all different eras. An individual has a much greater chance of impacting a championship team, whereas Marino gets to a Super Bowl in his second year and never makes it back. Like it's football's the ultimate team game. It's just a it's a harder thing to do. There are hey, my guy. Uh, I've referenced him before on the podcast. His darkness. He was talking about a uh, big Chiefs fan. He's got a great uh, Chiefs podcast, um, Amateur Hour with our guy Ryan Hall, and he was basically talking about. It's the rings culture thing of the NBA. I have no problem saying that Mahomes is better than Brady, even if he doesn't get to seven rings. I will not have a problem saying that. It's a different sport. It's a different way that we do that stuff. And I just, I don't, I find it reductive in the basketball conversation. And so I would find it reductive in this one too. I just, this doesn't feel like the Super Bowl to me to be talking about that with, with Mahomes personally. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. It feels to I know their defense was number two in the league, but because their offense was so pedestrian and average throughout the season, it feels to me like it's a lot about Mahomes put willing this team to where they are. They didn't score a touchdown in the second half of the Baltimore game. The Chiefs defense did things that Lamar Jackson that very few teams other than the Steelers have done over the last few years. So in that respect, it is the ultimate team game. But I don't, watching what they've done in the playoffs, I, I think it is a testament to Mahomes' greatness. I think it is of about. Of course, it is. It's it's not that it's not about Mahomes being great. It's that it's that it's not. Is this the most impressive Super Bowl win of Mahomes' career? What would this have him on pace to do? Uh, is this the best defense of the Mahomes era? Is this the best coaching job? It, wh- what about Travis Kelsey? extending the Jerry Rice record, going for a three-peat, 
it's just there's a, there's a lot of things before the career accomplishment and where he is on the all-time rankings for me personally because he's got so much longer but I honestly do feel now like I've created a straw man because now we've spent more time on it than I wanted to <laughs> the entire time on the pod. But I just, Tom Brady is doing a lifestyle brand merger and talking to Pat McAfee. Like, you know what I mean? This, this, this is not about Brady. This is, this to me is about a modern dynasty that is in the, I don't know, second or end of the second, beginning of the third quarter. Of, of its run, right? Like maybe, I mean, uh, uh, one of the other things I was going to bring up here and just you're going to ask me my quick thoughts about the Super Bowl. We talked about briefly on either the last podcast or the podcast before that, I brought up Andy Reid. And you're like, I just can't see this guy retiring or stepping away from football. The amount of people that I've seen credibly still speculate that he might walk away after this game after what you said to me and laid out an argument for why you think Andy Reid could coach for another 10 years is uh, shocking, actually. Adam Schefter actually went as far as to say on TV this week that he thinks Belichick could end up in Kansas City. Now, he tried to couch it by saying, look, I'm just throwing stuff out there. But we know Schefter doesn't like to look bad and look wrong on things. And him even putting that team with that coach blew my mind. You know, like it seems to me like at least in the NFL inner, like the behind closed doors, the inner circle, the coaching community, there is some thought that maybe the guy does walk away, which stuns me because of what you said. And that's his whole life. And that's what he cares about. And he probably sees now if we win this, look at my pot, look at my potential to be considered one of the greatest coaches of all time. So I've just been. Uh, I, I've seen that reported a lot and talked about a lot in the last few days since the AFC championship game. And no one's come out and refuted it. Like, you know, Reed hasn't come out and said, what are you guys talking about? I'm absolutely back next year. So, yeah, and maybe he will, maybe he won't. He's in his mid sixties. Obviously anything can change in a moment's notice with a person's health and, and desire and all that. I just, the guy's won 11 or more games, nine straight seasons. He's and he's dry, he's driving the fastest car as an offensive guy. And he spent a lot of time with Donovan McNabb and Jeff Garcia and Kevin Cobb and Mike Vick and Alex Smith. I just can't imagine him walking away from this. But I it I mean, it'll be one of the first questions asked to him by Nance when he's handing him the trophy. And maybe this time Nance won't ask him to waddle over like Bradshaw did last that year. That was Bradshaw. That was that was but and you saw who did the trophy for the NFC championship game? Strahan. I don't think that's a coincidence. It definitely isn't. It definitely, it def, for anyone who doesn't know, Terry Bradshaw told Andy Reid to waddle on over here, big guy. <laughs> uh, it was always insane that they let him do that with all of those qualified broadcasters that, that they had. But you know what's kind of funny? It's Nance who does it. It's not, you know, host of halftime show or sideline reporter or anything. And you remember the reporting that happened for Nance stepping aside for the uh, final four? He still wants to be up there at the end of it. He still is going to do the presentation of the trophy at the end of it. He He's such a ham. He's such a ham. Yep. Like, that guy's going to be in stuff. Butler cabin watching green jacket presentations when he's 100 years old. He's so into that stuff. Yes. That is, it's just what... 
I mean, I think he's gonna. He, I think he wants to broadcast the Masters until he's like eighty. I think that's a stated goal. All right, what else we got? Well, the next thing I wanted to bring up was the reaction to the Lions' reaction. So you just brought up you taking stock of how the Super Bowl has been framed. Yeah, more than a week out. We talked about the way the Lions lost as soon as that game went final. We taped that podcast. And I've heard probably more than I care to hear on the way the analysis of that game, what happened, what went wrong, etc. The thing that I cannot believe, well, I can believe it. It's interesting. People keep blaming analytics for this. Okay, people keep bringing up analytics and saying analytics have fried Dan Campbell's brain. It's the it's the strict numbers that caused the Lions to have these follies and mistakes in in the second half. Such an intellectually dishonest thing to say because the dude kicked a field goal, fourth and goal, fourth and three, fourth fourth down from the three yard line at the end of the half. The analytics say to go for it there. The analytics he's say also, that to, he's, he's not also, an analytics guy. Uh, thank no. you. For that I don't know if that's what you're going to say, but it's been he's not an analytics person. But there's this war against analytics for whatever reason. It it it, it is entertaining because people get so hot and bothered over it. But it's just funny that they're trying to make Dan Campbell the face of this constant battle against numbers being integrated into sports and decisions that get made in games. Right. He's more like meathead than numbers wonk. He is aggression. That's what he is. He's the former player who does the whole thing based on aggression. Now, I agree with you. That was not the most aggressive decision on the field goal at the end of the half, but that's why they go for go for it on fourth down many more than any other team in the league the last two years by far. It's not because of numbers. It's because of aggression, but the organization allows him to do it because the numbers do support it. So they actually go hand in hand, but he's made it part of like the identity of the team. We're, this opens up our play calling on third down. We're going to be tough. We're going to take it to you. Our offense is our strength, all of that stuff. So I agree with you. Can I give you the thing that bothers me the most, or do you want to respond to that first? I was just going to say back to that, it's clearly not just a numbers thing because he would have gone for it at the end of the half. Yep. He would have gone for it on fourth and two, and then he would have gone for it on the fourth and three in the fourth quarter down three if he just said to the whoever he's got upstairs, what do the numbers say here, win probability? It says go for it. It would have been consistent in all three cases. It wasn't. Which gets back to something that I also think you've started to hear more of since Sunday night. I do think the kicker thing is a big deal. Of course it and, is. And the whole idea, people have brought up Badgley numbers from years past. It's bad. It's Badgley with him. It's Badgley with Campbell. I get it. He made a 50-plus yard field goal indoors. He, there, there's no... He has not built up equity with Campbell to put him in those situations. People keep saying, you know, there's human error, there's execution, people make mistakes, et cetera, when they bring up 
you know, the pitfalls of going for it on those fourth and shorts. And they don't really seem to want to bring up the fact that a dude knowing that so much is on the line might miss a field goal that's between 45 and 50 yards, man. Of which he is 8 of 16. Yep. Outdoors. Outdoors. Yeah. Okay. That, I got to say, you and I have been in this business a long time. And I'll be a little arrogant here. You and I are in the 98th percentile of this business. We are very good at what we do. And we also can do this thing solo, which not a ton of people can do. So we're good at this. Nick Costos, did you see his rant on this? I saw it went viral. I only watched a little bit of it. I did not watch the whole thing. Did he make the point that we just made? He, So he missed Monday. He missed the, the show after Championship Sunday. He had a family situation. And that was Tuesday. And it still cut through in that way because it was so good. You should watch it, man, as like a fan of the industry. It was six and a half minutes extemporaneous on the idiocy of the take the points crowd as if the points are just there on a table. Like you pick up your keys before you walk out the door. Like you can just, hello, points. Let me take them and then put them on the scoreboard. He can miss and he has missed before. So Costos, I thought, was brilliant on it. And that was what was so frustrating to me in the analysis was treating it as if they were automatic. Because there was only one take the point situation and he took them when it was a chip shot. It was correct. It was a take the point situation there and he took the three. Like, this is a very simple thing. What percent chance does Reynolds catch that ball that he dropped? Give me an estimated number. I think it's got to be probably around like 90% would be my number. Right? At least? Yeah. Perfect throw wide open? Not going yeah. over the middle into a defender? I mean, yeah. he's an NFL wide receiver. He, he he has to catch that ball at least 9 out of 10 times. Right? Yep. The guy doesn't make the kick 9 out of 10 times. In fact, he makes it 5 out of 10. So objectively, in that one, they made the right decision. The player just messed up. So putting it on Campbell is so stupid when that that is judging results over process. And that's what bothered me about the conversation. We said it after we, we came on the second it ended. So we did not look up all of the Badgley numbers. You know what I mean? We, that, that's how we do the podcast just is what it is. We didn't have all of the data uh, behind it. And so people, have, a lot of people have done a good job on it with more time to process the whole thing. But we said that right away mm-hmm. that those are not guaranteed makes and they've had a kicker situation with injury. He's their second kicker this year. It was, it was just, it was very, very frustrating. And side note, by the way, back to Brady for a second. If I was his agent or someone that he was listening to about broadcasting, I would tell him if you want to game the system on how you will be reviewed on Twitter, 
be very good at explaining analytics because that's where the analytic community lives. It's those of us who are on Twitter. And so like Greg Olson coming out and doing what he did and talking about it and making this exact point that the kicker could miss the kick and let's treat it like modern football. It's one of the many reasons he gets a ton of love. Whereas Aikman, who's I think great. One of the only criticisms you can have on him is like, he's like, well, I'm a little old school here, Joe. I don't want to put points on the board. I wouldn't want my team feeling empty after a drive and all the things that they've done. So let's put points on the board. I'm getting a little worried about uh, Brady in that role because <clears throat> I was listening to his on Monday. I was listening to his show on with Jim Gray because I wanted to hear what he was going to say about this. And he's still so stiff. They're still a well, falling back. Stiff. They're still falling back on a little bit of the guardedness of when he played in was in the New England system and didn't want to co- completely speak his mind. And if that's how he's going to go about this broadcasting thing, it's not going to go well. And especially now that he's replacing somebody who's pretty close to universally revered for the job he he did. One other thing about that situation that I've heard come up, one of the major critiques of Campbell that I've heard in the in the Lions decisions. I've heard this. I actually heard Carrington Harrison say this on his he was doing his show on satellite. And Carrington said, "What are you doing throwing the ball to Josh Reynolds in that situation?" He goes, "You're asking a role player to do what a starting player does." And I I, I don't uh, I almost texted him but I didn't. I wanted to say Carrington, did you go on your show Monday and say, "Hey, it worked." But what an idiotic decision for Patrick Mahomes to throw to MVS with the game on the line. It's the same exact thing. And that conversion to MVS downfield is a much more low low percentage play. Of course. And what Reynolds is. And so, Reynolds has been good. But the, his, Reynolds his, has had a nice season. I mean, what Reynolds has had a nice season. Oh, but I just thought it was I, I just thought just the because the I just thought the timing of it was strange. Because here is right now the greatest quarterback in the game who trusts like Jordan did to dish the ball to Paxson or Kerr to win the game. And it worked for him and he gets credit for it. Whereas I've heard, and and Carrington was not the only person who did this. I'm hearing people bring up, he's got to throw to Amon Ross St. Brown. You've got to run the ball with Montgomery there. You've got Laporta. I get it. He's not option one, but he's wide open and he's an NFL freaking receiver, man. Come on. (laughs) That is, that is, yeah, I just, uh, yeah. Listen, I mean, if it's a bomb to him or if it's a contested play or something like that, a hundred percent. No, I mean, yeah, a hundred percent. The bears had a situation with, uh, in the last game of the year, DJ Moore's coming across fields, throws a deep ball to Tyler Scott. Tyler Scott has had drop issues. He's a fourth round rookie hits him in the hands, drops it. And it's like, well, okay. It was a good throw. He is an NFL player. He is on the field, but you have your A guy on fourth down who's also open for a first down, live to fight another day. That's at least more of a debate. This guy has been good this year. He's on the field all the time. He's been more trustworthy than Jamison Williams. He has been their second most trustworthy wide receiver this year. Yes, third in the pass catching game behind Laporta, fourth if you want to count Gibbs, but he's been good. 
So I, I, I don't agree with this. Give us a five-star review, please. Sunday, we will be doing an Ask Us Anything on YouTube, 9.30 Eastern, 8.30 Central. So trying to grow this thing, tell a friend, five-star review, live Ask Us Anything on our YouTube stream on Sunday night. More First and Pod after this. All right, Pony, back in on First and Pod. Subscribe, rate, review, and we've got an Ask Us Anything Sunday night on YouTube, 9.30 Eastern, 8.30 Central. Want to go Is through this going to the- be like one of those Stephen A. Smith things where he gets asked who your favorite Sesame Street characters of all time are? And As long as we're not weirdly horny online like Stephen A. Smith, we should be fine. It seems to be working for him. Everything seems to be working for him. Speaking I mean, of weirdly horny, we go, are going to go, go through the coaches here and grade these hires. <laughs> Do you know where I'm going with this? The Carolina coach, the book? Yes. He wrote a book with his wife about his porn addiction. And his infidelity. In which yeah. he admitted that on his bachelor party, he cheated on his wife. Or soon-to-be wife, his fiance. Incredible stuff. I, I told you we have a listener to this podcast, Rowan and Castle, Castle Shannon, who's Castle Shannon, PA, who's good friends with David Tepper. They went to school together. David Tepper is, uh, he's an outside the box thinker now. He's a different dude. I think this came up in the interview and it would have to. I bet he knows the guy's life story. I'm sure there's people doing due diligence and homework. He was addicted to booze and porn. And he wrote a book about it now. So he's an open book on it, literally. I'm sure it came up. You know, maybe it was spun in a positive way. Like, this is where I was a few years ago, and this is who I am now. I'm a different guy. But when I found that on Thursday, I was like, oh, my. Porn addiction. What constitutes a porn addiction? Was he using porn at work too much? Was he doing it too often? I mean, I haven't read the book, but those things did cross my mind, Danny. Yeah, I got to say. it. And the wife stayed with him and said, you know what? We're cool. Let's write a book about it now. That's what I would like to have a little bit more insight on. Or was it, I'm cool with it. I forgive you if you write this book with me. Because that is a pretty public yeah, flogging <laughs> of your man. And now they've co-authored a book back when he was a, you know, lowly quarterback coach. And now he's the head coach of an NFL team, and that's out there publicly. I'm just saying I'm glad he was hired to be in Carolina and not with the Jets or not with the Eagles. I feel like the media scrutiny and line of questioning and tabloid nature of that story would be a little different. Based and on you market. have an issue with that? I would embrace that. I'd love that. If the guy's at his first introductory press conference, he's getting asked about porn, that would have been phenomenal. I'm saying I get, I'm guessing that he, for him, Oh, yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm, I'm saying for him. Uh, that won't surprise you, though. Only 42 years old. They blow up the whole staff to take a risk on a guy who's never done it before. It surprised me. I'm going to give that one. I'm going to grade that one a B for Canales. Uh, he has two big success stories, reclamation project stories on his resume. He was the quarterback's coach in Seattle with Geno Smith. Uh, two two years ago, and then last year, this past season, he's with Baker Mayfield in Tampa. 
And so he got both of those guys to Pro Bowl, 28 touchdown, 30 touchdown seasons. And guys who were looked at as just placeholder quarterbacks until better quarterbacks got in there. So it's not a big, uh, it's not, there's no volume there. It's not like he's shown he can do it over and over and over and over and over again, over again. But in this hiring cycle, I would rank Canales as one of the better hires. I like it. I think it's worth a swing. You got to fix Bryce Young. Here's a guy that's fixed two quarterbacks. I, I agree with you. I was, the more I read about it, the more it made sense. I got no problem with that grade. Um, are you going to give Harbaugh to the Chargers an A? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. The best one. Right. Jim Harbaugh's one more playoff game since 2002 than Mike Tomlin. I think that stat's hilarious, even though the guy's been in the college football ranks for a very long time. Uh, and he is a quirky guy. There's no doubt about that. You know, I don't think who's got it better than us. Nobody is going to really have Joey Bosa jumping through hoops there. But he is a great quarterback mind. He, I think, offensively gets it. I think his brother has done a really good job of surrounding himself with smart people and good assistant coaches. I have no reason to think that Jim won't do that either. Uh, It's Herbert's first offensive coach since Anthony Lynn, and that was just in his rookie year. So by far the best coaching I think he's going to get. Yeah, I mean the Chargers always find a way to f things up. They're a cursed franchise. They've had they had Fouts, Breeze, and Rivers, and ne- and never made it to a Super Bowl with those three guys. But if anybody's going to get them there, I think it's Harbaugh. I give it an A. There's, it's perfect. The only thing that sucks about it is that it's not a better fan base. That's the only thing that sucks about it. There's not more people that'll care. He could win a Super Bowl and the Super Bowl parade would have, you'd be able to show up 10 minutes before it starts and get a spot on the rail. That's the only part about it that sucks. But seeing him get an elite quarterback, because we've talked about some of the arrogance of this stuff. Like if he would have gone to the Raiders, it would have been fascinating, but we might've never seen him get a good quarterback. So yeah, he's got to go through Mahomes and Reed and yeah, he's got to go and deal with Sean Payton and all that. But he has a top five or six talent at the position in the world. So a lot of dead cap space, old roster. They got to turn it over. But Justin Herbert could play for another 10 years. And Harbaugh could have stayed at Michigan on a nine-figure contract and waited to for the job to coach Dak Prescott. Or he could have won, gone to Washington and draft and been with Drake May. Or You know what I mean? He chose this because of Herbert. And that is fascinating. So I'm excited to see what happens with Justin Herbert because I think he's one of the most talented players in the world. And I feel like his rookie contract was completely wasted. And they blew the GM out of there too, who went to Vegas. Yep. And we know that Harbaugh had some issues with the GM in San Francisco, bulky. That's why he went back to Michigan. And I'm guessing that they hired someone who's going to have a much better uh, ability to at least tolerate Harbaugh has a reputation for uh, grading on people. And that was his big issue. The first time he was in the NFL as a coach, is he going to be built to last? I don't know. I mean, he's got a golden goose situation here in Herbert. You know, I've gotten on Herbert a little more than you have, but there's no denying that among the quarterbacks that you could work with 
in this process, he was the best one. So, all right, let's 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 pick up the pace a little bit here. The one I liked the least was actually Antonio Pierce. It felt to me like you were letting the players pick the coach. And the coach should, if they're good, outlast all of the players. If you're actually doing it right. And so what he did was very impressive. But how much of it is what he did versus they would have done it for anybody that wasn't Josh McDaniels? They were smoking cigars when McDaniels got fired. (laughs) He was so hated. He's one of the least likable people in the thing. So it's not even really an anti-Antonio Pierce thing. But if Antonio Pierce would have not gotten that job, does he get the Seahawks job? No, the players players should know that Josh McDaniels hired Antonio Pierce. That would be a red flag for me that he brought him in there to be an assistant coach. So, like, it's really nothing against Antonio Pierce, except it's more against the process that led to it. I just don't believe that that's the best they could have done if they would have scanned far and wide. And it felt like you were listening too much to the players who are always – like. If you if 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 the if Ryan Poles listened to the Bears players, they would draft Justin. They would keep Justin Fields because he's popular in the locker room. You know what I mean? You can't you cannot let the players make hirings and firings and make draft picks and make things that are supposed to be done at a level that is above them. So it just I hated the process that led to it. I think Gerard Mayo is worse. No offense to him, he sounds really bright and sharp when I when I watched that press conference with Kraft I thought he came across as very impressive and that there was I mean he showed more personality in that interview and that press conference than Belichick had in the 20 plus years he was in New England when he would deal with Boston reporters but it's the process there they just passed the torch to somebody and it's and it's a defensive guy I thought New England needed a complete facelift I thought they needed an an entire overhaul. I thought they needed a fresh start and a clean start and a complete break from the Belichick way of doing things. We saw the the way the rest of the league viewed Belichick, obviously more so because he wants his hands and fingerprints on everything and not just coaching. And that's why he didn't get hired. He didn't want to just stick to coaching. Um, But I, I don't, I, I didn't understand that. Just now it's going to be Alex Van Pelt is the offensive coordinator there. You kidding me? The guys hasn't called plays. I don't think since he was in Buffalo in 08, he was just the court. He was the offensive coordinator, but Stefanski did all the heavy lifting there. You're going to get one of these big picks. That's your brain trust, a journeyman offensive coach in Gerard Mayo for the third pick, you know, whoever is left between Drake May and Jaden Daniels. Come on, Danny. That's ridiculous. That's a terrible I, job by them. How do you not even interview a bunch of people there and say, are we sure we just want to do this and have the guy in waiting get the job? Brutal. I I Listen, it feels like he was hired to be fired. And I know they say they all are hired to be fired, but it felt like he was hired to be fired. Because again, it's nothing about him. He was incredibly impressive. But... What's their path to winning? Their roster is terrible. He's a first-time coach. 
He's the guy who follows the legend. And they're going to get the third quarterback in the draft, presumably, who's probably going to have to play as a rookie. That He goes 4-13. and 13. He's a prime candidate to be fired after one year. When I'm not sure that Chuck Knoll and Bill Walsh and Bill Parcells reincarnate on this staff, on a super staff, could get next year's Patriots team in that circumstance to much better than 6-11. and 11. So I just think he is, he is like, he might be a great poker player, but if you're only dealt Jack Deuce offsuit every hand, you're going to get eliminated from the tournament eventually. I just think that he has been dealt a terrible hand here. The Dan Quinn one, I, I'm just flabbergasted by that. Ben Johnson apparently is going to be the most selective human being of all time when it comes to finding the head coaching gig. And Mark Slayer at the Fox Sports said he had a a production meeting with Johnson this year doing a game, and Johnson said the only job he would take was the Chargers job. Probably should have notified all those other teams out there before he wasted their time with meetings and interviews that that was his objective or plan. But, I mean, you hired a coach. Again, same situation as New England. You're going to draft a quarterback second. You hired a coach who right now is synonymous with two things. A horrible defensive game plan and performance in their playoff game. And before that, he choked away a Super Bowl. And that's your guy? I just, I'm, you brought it up before. If Mike McCarthy gets fired in Dallas, Dan Quinn is a coaching free agent probably. And this guy gets promoted. He gets a he gets a better gig for that meltdown. He's McCarthy been talked kept his about job and this guy to... got another job. It's it's just it boggles my mind. See, I think that they were left at the altar with Ben Johnson and they went then for very safe. Everybody just promote the enemy. Do that. That's not safe, man. Not everybody likes him. Apparently, no one likes him other than Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid from the sounds of things. It's but that's crazy. what I'm saying. So that, that's not safe. Dan Quinn has been a head coach before. Everyone swears by the leadership. He knows the division. And he's apparently a great culture leader in the building guy. Like holds everybody accountable. Everybody likes working with it. You know what I mean? So I just, it struck me as safe. Which, okay, new ownership comes in. We don't want any problems. I would think relatively low ceiling, relatively high floor is how the Dan Quinn hire. I mean, dude, every people in the NFL have been talking about Dan Quinn getting a second job since he got fired from his first job. Immediately. The best, the best thing that's happened to Dan Quinn, in my opinion, is not what went on in Dallas with the way their defense uh, performed in the regular season the last few years. It's that he had Kyle Shanahan in Atlanta and Shanahan has gone on to be the best offensive coach other than Andy Reid in the NFL. And I'm guessing in his interviews, that's what he said. I, I was the guy that brought Kyle Shanahan to Atlanta. He turned Matt Ryan into an MVP. He's in San Francisco now with a system that's like quarterback proof. I can find the next Kyle Shanahan to be my offensive coordinator. Trust me. Here's my list. Any one of these guys is going to be – because 
other, there, there's no other reason why you'd hire a defensive coach right now when you've got the second pick in the draft and you're taking Drake Mayer Daniels. Why else would you do that? Why would you trust him to do that? I you're, agree. You've been talking about that in Chicago with Eberflus and Caleb Williams for literally months, Danny. Yep. Yep. I I agree. I listen. I think it's I, I think it's safe for the culture. I would not have done it given the quarterback situation. I gotta say the Brian Callahan thing. I know he's been a hot name, but and I don't know the guy at all. But when Green Bay lost Luke Getzey and Nathaniel Hackett, Hackett obviously got a head coaching job, failed, then goes to the Jets. Getzey got a head coaching interview, didn't get it, goes to the Bears, failed. And the Packers keep on running with Matt LaFleur. It was instructive to me of the offensive guy under the offensive head coach who has never called plays. Like, Callahan is getting some credit, and maybe he deserves it, but maybe he doesn't for Joe Burrow got hurt and the Bengals offense was still pretty good. Is that because of Brian Callahan or is that because of Zach Taylor or is that because of their roster? Like they fired Mike Vrabel who I guess rubbed some people the wrong way and the relationship just soured and ended and all good things come to an end. But that guy overachieved in Tennessee. And now you go get a guy who is not an NFL play caller, who had a top three quarterback in the world for the majority of his time there, under an offensive head coach, and he goes to a situation without anything proven at quarterback? I mean, it's 50-50 at best that that guy's a coach there in three years. That's a tough spot to go to. Yeah, and I thought Levis had his moments, but I would not trust him to be my... Uh, saving grace quarterback. Mike McDaniel, I think, helps guys like Callahan. He never called the plays in San Francisco. Look at him offensively in Miami. They had the second-ranked offense in the league. So that's something that I think helps these guys that are just kind of watching the head coach who calls the plays. Um, oh, and I mean, and, and for some of them, it works. Yeah. Look well, floor, Taylor, guys who come off the McVeigh tree, right? I, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying it never works. I'm saying it's a risk. Sure. And he goes to a place without an established quarterback. So it's like, it's a good, he hasn't called well, the plays and he doesn't have the quarterback. That's no doubt. That, that's risky. Well, I don't think he gets hired if, if he's not the son of Bill Callahan, one of the greatest offensive line coaches of all time and someone who coached in the Super Bowl. Like that's part of it. I think the NFL loves names. They love guys with um, uh, a legacy. I mean, that's why Vince Lombardi's, what's it, the grandson there? Joe Lombardi just keeps getting jobs. He was putrid as the Chargers offensive coordinator. He just keeps landing on his feet places. If his name's Joe Parkins, I don't think he's getting those jobs. You know, I mean, that's just the NFL does that. It recycles names. And so I think Callahan's going to get a shot now because in part, he has uh, a family legacy in the league. Um, but- yeah, that 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 hire did not really move the needle for me much either, Danny. I give that like a C. I was I'm, I love the Raheem Morris story. I'm glad he got another shot. I think it's really cool how he took steps back and went to the offensive side of the ball and grinded and worked his way back up. And everybody loves him. And you uh, frankly don't. It's rarer to see 
uh, a black head coach get a second chance, which a black defensive coach uh, to get to get a second chance. So all of those things about Raheem Morris, I really like. The only thing that I was maybe a little, I should not have been surprised, but the defense in Atlanta was pretty good and it was getting better. And they fired Nielsen's defensive staff. Like he's taking it over and putting in his guys, which obviously is any head coach's right. But the issue on for Atlanta was they didn't have a quarterback. We still don't know what they're going to do at quarterback. And three top 10 picks at skill position in London, Bijan Robinson and Kyle Pitts, all underachieved and underproduced. So I'm not sure this solves that. And it at least brings in some degree of risk on if he can maximize that defensive personnel that was playing well. So I love the story, but I think it's still very TBD on whether or not it fixes their problem. Well, let's end on that note because I can tell you're, you're, you're getting to the point where you're ready because you just called him Neil Smith and not Arthur Smith. So you're thinking no, about Nielsen. Ryan, Ryan Nielsen. The, oh, the, I thought you said Neil Smith talking about your old Chiefs days. No, there. no, no. What Ryan Nielsen. The okay, defensive, gotcha. I'm, I'm saying okay. he, I'm saying he yes, came he should in have been, and he should have been retained. I, I was, I was, I, like I said, I should not have been surprised because of course a defensive coach is going to want to bring in his own defensive guy. Of course. Yeah. But I was like, oh, damn. That well, I give you credit. I mean, that. this is why we do every team every week. You know, you're getting down to nitty gritty. You know, the assistant coaches in Atlanta. So well, I give you props, man. I mean, they were good. They were good. Well, did we, we skipped one, right? Oh, McDonald, Mike McDonald in Seattle. Why? Yeah. Why Why do that? I understand. They had the number one defense in the entire NFL this year. Um, here's what happens with me. I watch... I watch a team losing the playoffs and I'm like scarred by it. And I'm not even going to say that Baltimore had a bad uh, defensive performance. They shut out Kansas city in the second half, even though they let them come right down the field to start the game and they couldn't, you know, harass uh, Mahomes into turn the ball over making really any stupid plays in that game. I guess I'm just overall stunned by the number of defensive coaches who got jobs. And I'll use Mike, I'll use Mike McDonald as my, way of expressing my uh, complete uh, and five out of eight, right? Five out of eight. That it's just, wait, more guys that are going to have to also make the critical hire of finding the right offensive coach to go with that. So McDonald gets rave reviews. He's super young. He's 36 years, years old. I think he did one of the best assistant coaching jobs in the entire NFL this year, but I don't know, man. Like, you're telling me that these situ- Ben Johnson, Bobby Slowick, those guys, you couldn't sell either one of them on the idea of going up to Seattle and working with Geno Smith and the receivers and running backs they have there. I don't get it. I agree. They got they got younger. Did you not see that Sean McVay had been the youngest coach in the league for seven years? That's a crazy stat. So now Mike McDonald's the youngest coach in the NFL. 36 yep. years old. What are we doing with our lives? Thank you to Spencer Ray, our producer. We'll do an Ask Us Anything live on the Scores YouTube page on Sunday night, 9.30 Eastern, 10.30 Central. Tell a friend about First and Pod. we got a bunch more episodes leading up to the Super Bowl. Uh, he's Andrew Filippone.
First and pot. Peace.